Hi, and welcome back to the Truly Rich Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Combs, and the Truly Rich Podcast is brought to you by Combs Capital Partners, where we seek to maximize families' impact. I'm thankful you decided to join us once again as we interview Tyler Beatty, a not once, but twice first-round draft pick in the MLB draft. Tyler was drafted in the first round out of high school to the Toronto Blue Jays, and then once again in 2014 to the San Francisco Giants. Tyler won a national championship in 2014 with Vanderbilt University and then has gone on to pitch in the big leagues, making his major league debut back in 2018. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery and excited to get back out there this spring and has a unique story and perspective when it comes to wealth and its purpose. I'm excited for you to listen and learn from Tyler and really pay attention to when he begins to talk about his why and his purpose and how that is the driving force behind how he views money and what him and his wife ultimately decide to do in managing their money. Thank you once again for tuning in, and I'm excited for you to hear from Tyler. Here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Truly Rich Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Combs, and I'm joined today by the, none other than the Tyler Beatty first-round draft pick and current pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Connor. Thanks for having me on, man. I know it's a long time coming. We tried to set this thing up, but finally finally on the books, this will be a fun one. I know, man. I'm so excited, and it's, it's crazy. We were just talking as we were getting going, and it was roughly two years ago, and we met back in January of 2018 or 2019, whatever it was, at a UPI retreat, and uh, I was just – getting engaged or I just gotten engaged and you had just recently been married and, and here we are a few years down the road and it, it's been fun to follow along your career as you've progressed and and see where you are today and so uh, looking forward to diving in and really just talking about what we typically talk about here on the truly rich podcast which is what it means to have a healthy relationship with wealth and money what does that look like and you as an athlete uh, coming from a very unique situation, I imagine we'll have a great perspective and uh, we'll give our audience a really great interview here. So I'm excited to get going. With that said, I wanted to start really going back to high school because that's where it really began for you on this stewardship journey. Yeah. Being 18 years old, being a first round draft pick back in 2011 uh, to the Toronto Blue Jays. And I was going back and looking at the slots there that year, and they, they were still signing guys for quite a bit of money back in 2011. And so what was that like going through that process, knowing there was a potential for you to be signing for a million, two million dollars at that point at 18? Uh, what went into that decision of, of passing up uh, the first round money and, and choosing to go to Vanderbilt? Yeah, um, you know, good question that I've that I've certainly had to to answer a few times, and it's been good for me to to be able to to process through that, in which I obviously spent a ton of time doing in 2011. Um, you know, ultimately where I was at in my life at that point, you know, I honestly felt um, you know fairly polished, uh, fairly prepared for pro ball. Um, you know, I felt like I had you know, kind of set the foundation, you know, things I was doing in my routine. I felt like I, if I got into pro ball, I would be, you know, well equipped to at least uh, get into it and and sort of start my career. And so honestly, at that point, um, which I've, which I've talked about in years past with, with even Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt is, you know, I, 
I was probably leaning more towards signing at that point than I was going to college. And then the draft happened and there were certain things that I was revealed, you know, the business side of the game sort of um, showed itself to me throughout the process. I was drafted on, it was June 6th. And then we had basically two months until August 15th to decide, which was the signing deadline. So, you know, throughout that two month period, you sort of go through, you know, your own process of figuring out where's the best place for me to be, um, you know, weighing the pros and cons, just really taking your time to go through a life changing decision. And, you know, where where we were at, you know, family wise, financially, we weren't well off. You know, my dad had um, my, my parents were divorced when I was younger. And so my dad would essentially sacrifice, you know, a year's salary of sorts for me to, tr- to to play travel ball at that time, to, to kind of have the exposure to be playing in front of those scouts. And so, you know, that money that was on the table was was life changing. It would have impacted my family um, d- down the line. And so, you know, I certainly wasn't insensitive to the fact that that money was going to go a long way. But I think when you're faced with any decision where, you know, it's a large sum of money um, and you're kind of blinded by the paycheck or blinded by sort of that opportunity. And it wasn't just the money. It was the dream of playing pro ball. Right. So I, I really, you know, valued that time to process and to take a step back and to see how valuable the opportunity was to go to Vanderbilt, both, you know, obviously athletically in the way that I would develop and potentially put myself back in a position to get drafted high again, but academically, um, you know, the prestigious degree that you would receive from Vanderbilt being a kid in Nashville for three to four years. It's such a great, a great city and a great community. And then I think almost, you know, to tie everything together was Tim Corbin. Like he, he did such a good job of presenting the way that they develop guys and, and go about maximizing your ability on the field, but developing your, your leadership qualities, your character traits, everything off the field, being, becoming a better man. So all of those things really kind of brought me to the point where I was sold on going to Vanderbilt. And it was about sort of at that point saying no to the Blue Jays, which was very, very difficult, um, but, but tried to move on and adjust to the college life after that. Man, that's so cool. And as I was looking back at that draft, it was crazy that the talent that came out of that draft, (laughs) Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, Jose Fernandez, Sonny Gray were all guys that that went in that first round. And you were the only guy in that first round that did not sign. So credit to you for really uh, taking the process seriously, looking at all the options and then making the best decision ultimately for you and your family despite obviously that that lingering big price tag that they that the blue jays were ready to to write you no doubt and so as you taking it really the next step as you went on to vanderbilt spent three years there did you at any time think that you had made a mistake or wish you'd signed out of high school yeah yeah man i mean i remember vividly my dad came down to visit Uh, at that time he moved to, to new orleans area and drove in from Louisiana and we're sitting down at the pancake pantry which is sort of a well-known Nashville breakfast spot and uh you know it was sort of kind of towards the end of the freshman fall and I just remember really just kind of being super raw and emotional and transparent to him that I just felt like I was I wished I was in pro ball um I had some regrets you know and, and just to put it in context you know you go into your freshman year and you know you you go in and you have you know, they're not easy classes at Vanderbilt. It's very difficult classes and it took me a little while to transition, but I'm, you know, I'm taking classes from eight to noon. Essentially, Uh, I got practice from, you know, two to seven 
and then study hall from about, you know, eight to 10 o'clock and then going back to the dorm and, and doing it all again the next day on top of, you know, for me trying to perform in the fall as if I'm trying to live up to this first rounder, being, being a guy the team can depend on and rely on right away and sort of get my, my butt kicked into where, you know, it was a wake up call for me. So yeah, I remember sitting down with my dad and just having some of those feelings, some of those thoughts and emotions. And, you know, I think it was, I don't, I don't try to be hard on myself. I think it was healthy for me to at least process through those because, um, you know, I needed to realize what was important to me. And I think what I was, what I was focusing on was a trying to please other people. Cause you know, it's easy to jump on Twitter, search your name and see what people are saying about you, both, both good and bad, mostly bad at that time for me. And just not a lot of people who sort of rely or stayed, you know, in my inner circle and continue to support me through that because they thought I was, you know, making a bad decision. So at that time, yeah, it was a lot to juggle. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself on top of what other people were, were saying and, and, and doing. And, um, and so those were some tough times, but uh, yeah, ultimately just, just, just got into a comfort zone, got better at time management and just started to, to focus on kind of being present, being a better teammate, and um, just immersing myself in the Vanderbilt culture at that point. Mm, that's that's awesome. And at what point was it at Vanderbilt, or maybe it was after Vanderbilt? Did you feel like okay, that was the right decision? I feel comfortable. I'm confident it was the right decision. Was that uh, maybe your second or third year at Vanderbilt, or even after? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think during my time at Vanderbilt, I realized just how incredible the opportunity was. And it was, it was, you know, freshman towards the end of the fresh first freshman season where I sort of got my bearings. I got a little bit, um, you know, things under control with, with what I was doing um, from a routine standpoint and just getting back into being Tyler Beatty and, and pitching a little bit more consistently. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that freshman you know, spring and then into the summer, which, you know, I was refreshed to be able to not play summer ball. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, were jumping at the bit to, to play Cape Cod ball, which would have been a, a tremendous opportunity, but I just felt like I needed that summer off to, to kind of have a mental break and step back from the game. And, and sort of that allowed me to come back into sophomore year and just really rejuvenated, remotivated and, and ready to attack and have a bounce back year, which, which I was fortunate to have at that point. And looking back now, uh, even going back to high school, what what would that have been like? Do you think handling pro ball at eighteen with the the kind of money that Toronto was willing to to give you? Do you think you would have handled it differently than you than you did as at twenty one being drafted? Or, or take us through that process. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I would have been. You know, I still would have had very similar inner circle of people to to keep me kind of within my, my, my means, um, and to keep me grounded, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to still have to this day, but, you know, I certainly learned a lot more about obviously time management, but, but money management, managing my money properly, because in college, you know, you, <laughs> you know, like I said, my family wasn't well off. And so what I was provided to spend in college was, you know, both relying on the meal plan card that Vanderbilt provided, and then kind of the extra 50 to a hundred dollars a week that I had to spend, you know, elsewhere. And so, yeah, you learn a lot how to, how to use your, how to use your money properly, how to use it wisely. Um, and you know, that's not to say that in pro ball, I would have been, you know, kind of loose with my wallet, um, or whatever it may have been, but, uh, more, more than just financially, I think mentally, I just, what I learned going through adversity in college, I'm, I'm not entirely sure I would have had the same foundation 
and 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 guidance through pro ball, especially through the lower levels. And you know, when you when you fail and you don't have you know people close by, because in pro ball you may be in the middle of nowhere and sort of just on your own in isolation. Whereas in college, I felt like I always constantly had people that I could go to and surround myself with both, you know, in teammates and then in staff and and some, some guidance counselors or some academic advisors. And so tons of people around that were always helpful for me. Right. Yeah. People you can trust that, that community is, is such a key in, in figuring out how to just go through life. And, um, I'm so glad you had that. And then fast forwarding to, to draft day, 2000 and, 14 you're the 14th overall pick to the San Francisco Giants knowing a sizable signing bonus was once again uh, on the plate how did you approach what you were going to do with it this time around yeah you know I think for me like I said I I always had such good um, you know trusted counsel within my inner circle I had you know a financial advisor who was at that point just a, a just a well-trusted family friend um, who just, we developed a relationship with. So for me, it was as easy as knowing, you know, just who to, who to really trust with my money at that point. And then for me, you know, I think just like I said, going through the college experience, I learned um, certain, you know, guidelines of how to spend my money. And I wanted to continue to live sort of within that lifestyle as I got into pro ball. Um, And I think, you know, maybe as we'll touch on later, I just, you know, I wanted to, be thoughtful with the decisions of the big purchases that I may make going forward. Um, but immediately I didn't want to, you know, obviously start to change my lifestyle from, you know, sort of living the college lifestyle under a college, you know, budget to, you know, all of a sudden living a, you know, uh, lifestyle that affords, you know, a millionaire because you need to put into perspective that, you know, I may have gotten a large signing bonus, which I was very fortunate for, and it was very life-changing, but, I wasn't going to be making that amount of money. I was going to be making a minor league salary, which, you know, for everyone who knows and has played minor league baseball or just knows about it, you you may be clear $7,000 a year. So you still need, you know, I was very fortunate to, to just understand that truth at that point to where, you know, as I got into pro ball, I needed to invest my money properly to still reward myself for, you know, the signing bonus and being where I was at. But trust knowing that I wasn't going to be continuing to make that money, uh, even into my big league career. Right. Absolutely. That's one of the things that we talk about with a lot of the athletes we serve is that, Hey, this, this could be it. Yep. And you have to keep that in mind as, yeah. as you get going. Yeah. And so uh, I'm glad that you had people in, in your corner that reminded you of that. And then, and then obviously the maturity on your end to acknowledge and, and take that advice um, because as you know, and as I'm sure you've seen young guys in the minor leagues, even as they get into the big leagues and, and how they manage those resources, uh, it's, it's not always, uh, like you did as, as you were gearing up to go play pro ball. And so, right. and it, it reflects, you know, five, 10 years down the road, um, you see it in sports all the time, guys going bankrupt or, or struggling. And, and so yeah. uh, it's just one of those things that to be cognizant of and, and glad that you had uh, the people in your corner and a great head on your shoulders. And, and really that, that brings me to the next question of really, what do you credit for how well you've handled your career and the money side of things thus far? You know, I've watched you over the last two years handle adversity you just had tommy john surgery i've, I've watched your recovery via social media and, and the the perspective that you've 
you've had going through it, uh, which has been awesome and encouraging in so many ways, even for me, a guy outside of the game. So what do you credit for how well you've handled that, uh, that side of it and the money side of things thus far? Yeah, I think it's, it's really just a kind of a byproduct of, you know, seeing the work ethic of other people in my inner circle, whether it be, you know, my dad, my brother, my mom, um, you know, close friends, you know, I've really, since I was, since I was young, you know, 14, you know, I remember just being self-driven to where I just, I always wanted to maximize my abilities and I always wanted to, you know, go about my business as if, you know, I was not going to leave any stone unturned and that doesn't necessarily stop when you get hurt. Right. I think it, it gives you an opportunity to step back and see maybe where you were deficient, see where you were falling short in preparation or just see where you can give a little bit more in a specific area. And, uh, and for me, you know, I had the, the maybe 24 to 48 hours of disappointment being pissed off for, for, for getting hurt in sort of the, uh, maybe prime of my career where I felt like I was pitching the best I've pitched since I was maybe in high school. And so, um, you know, at that time gave myself that, but then after that, it's just about, you know, being in the moment and trying to, um, just continue to progress and get healthy. Um, so from an injury rehab standpoint, that's sort of where my mindset has been is taking it day by day, but it's been such a mental grind to where, you know, uh, just, just the perspective of, you know, you may not, uh, you know, having to look yourself in the mirror and say, you may not be who you were before. You may not make it back to pitching in the big leagues. And that's just a reality of any injury. I think of that sort. And even though Tommy John has such a successful rate of bringing guys back, you know, everybody's body, everybody's arm adapts differently. And so from that standpoint, I just needed to continue to trust in my process and in my adaptation of my body um, and in my progress, because it's so easy to look at, you know, someone else's progress and compare yourself to them and, uh, and how they've progressed and how come you're not progressing at the same rate. And, um, you know, I think as maybe it correlates financially too, is, you know, I play in a, you know, we, we, I play in a profession where you're playing with guys on your team who are making $30 million, um, 10 to $30 million. And, um, you know, you're constantly trying to stay in your own lane and, and, and work with what you have and maximize what you have. And so I think from a rehab standpoint and financially, it's just about, for me, um, understanding that you are your own person, you have your own career, um, you know, obviously relying on the people in your inner circle to help you and to guide you. But ultimately, you know, you can't be someone else. You have to be yourself and try to maximize that. Mm, and that, that brings me right into that next question of you and, and really all professional athletes have a very are in a very unique situation in that your salary is literally public information. I can go up and look up your contract along with all your teammates. Is that weird at all for you? Has it been a struggle playing that comparison game or really how have you handled that? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard, man. Cause you, I think we're, we're all, you know, at some point enticed by the desire to sort of be, you know, cool in a worldly perspective. You know, we want to drive the nice car. We want to have the nice house. We want to wear the nice clothes um, you want to sort of prove our kind of position in, in the world of sorts. Um, and yeah, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, I think as I've continued to touch on is my inner circle have how they've, you know, allowed me to, to stay grounded and to stay humble. And I think it's so important to be able to trust someone to, to vet a decision 
and it's not like not like every decision, whether it's small or or not. But um, you know, aside from you know in your in your own marriage, if you're married or if you're not, um, you know, aside from going to a significant other, but going to a financial advisor or or a parent or someone you trust and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm thinking about making this purchase, and you know, here's the reasons why I feel like this purchase works for me. Um, not because player A or or friend B has this car, and I think I, I really want to you know, get it because he has one, but more so, you know, is this going to benefit your, you know, your lifestyle or is this going to uh, sort of be something that provides you some protection down the road? You know, for, for example, you know, Allie and I decided to get, you know, put a deck in our house and and it's a significant purchase. That's um, certainly something I need to run by my financial advisor. And as we talk through it, you know, it's something that provides value both to our house down the road, but to our uh, lifestyle and our ability to entertain people. If we want to have people over for a Bible study or for a holiday party or for a family gathering, we have the ability now to kind of add value to the entertainment, uh, you know, uh, aspect of our house by having the patio and having the deck. And so it's something like that to where you don't need to necessarily, you know, go into the nuts and bolts of every decision that deep. But if you have a specific why for why you do things, you should be able to vet every decision through that why. And if it's bringing value sort of in that area and in that through that lens, then I think it's it's the proper decision versus like we're talking about comparing it to I need this, you know, I need this four hundred thousand dollar house because, you know, my teammate just bought one and I think it'll be good for our status to to be able to have a similar house, you know, versus it being a means for you to provide protection and safety for your for your family one day. Things of those nature. So I think that's the way I go about it, if that makes sense. Mm, no, that's awesome. And I love that you mentioned knowing your why, because I think that's that's so important. If And if your why or your purpose is clear and you can vet every decision, at least big decision, through whether or not that accomplishes your why or your purpose, it makes it so much easier. Mm. And so, and, and that brings me to the next question of just, and you mentioned it with, with Bible studies and having community at the house and, and elsewhere. How has your faith played a role in, in, in some of these decisions you made financially over the last few years, going back to even draft day and, and even today? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it plays every bit of a role in my decision with, with, um, with spending money or saving money or giving money. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, our core value in this family is to, to tithe off, you know, our first fruits. And, you know, that looks different every year. Um, but, but over our overarching theme is to, to give to the people who have, who have been serving to us sort of out of the service of God, right? It's so those people who have spent quality time investing in us, pouring into us, whether that be through Bible studies, whether that be through church um, and, and, and going to church and giving back to the church for, as they provide for other people, and I think just, um, you know, other ways that we see where we can be a benefit and to help and, and to give. You know, I think that's one of my wife's spiritual gifts is giving. Um, I certainly enjoy giving as well. And so just doing it in a way to where we sort of see we, where we can kind of benefit the biggest need um, sort of on top of that. So, yeah, that I think that's where our faith comes in. Um, and so sort of the, the biblical standard of how we give comes from that. Um, and then, you know, otherwise you know, just, just understanding, you know, sort of the way we view money. And, um, you know, I know we may touch on that and it may be one of your questions, but, 
the way we view it certainly comes from a biblical standpoint too. And so we try not to to let money be something that controls our life. We try not to to depend on you know uh, you know living a certain way or, or or anything of that nature. So I think it definitely plays a huge role. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Allie and and you guys have just celebrated three years of marriage. So congratulations right. on that. Thank you. And uh, but but how has that shifted over the last three years? Going from from a guy that was single playing pro ball and, and getting to really spend money how you deem necessary and and now involving a wife into those conversations. How have you guys handled that and approached stewardship and generosity together? Yeah, no, it's been such a, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to make decisions like that with a significant other, right? I think it's so cool to see both where your heart, where your heart is and where their heart is and to, to really come together to, to make this kind of joint impact on, you know, other people, um, and, and on your future family. Um, and yeah, I think obviously, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I was single or when I was, you know, we were first dating decisions are, you know, strictly made sort of out of my own, my own process. Like I said, relying on my financial advisor or family, but now it's, you know, mostly about making decisions as a couple sitting down, being thorough, right. Weighing the pros and cons, seeing what's a priority, kind of where our money will go. And just, I think seeing it through the lens of, Hey, what's our budget, um, you know, is this something that's going to be of value? Um, is this going to be a smart decision? Is this a long-term decision? Um, really things of that nature allow us to kind of work through it together. And, um, you know, if, if she's thinking, you know, one way and I'm thinking another way, that's really where our communication and where some compromise can come in. And I think working through financial decisions is, is maybe the most challenging conversations you can have. Um, as a as a couple, but I think it's where a ton of growth can be made and where you can really trust God and see God at work because there are a lot of unknowns when you make some financial decisions. And so um, really, really cool. And I think it's probably the most important thing to be transparent about, um, you know, in your marriage is, is what you're spending, what you think you, you need as a, as a family. Um, and so uh, always, always a blessing to be able to have those conversations. Mm, no, that's awesome. I love that you mentioned, man, even as professional baseball player, you have a budget and that amazing uh, listeners out there. So keep that in mind. And then the other thing you mentioned was uh, there is struggle and there is conflict in these conversations with your spouse. And, yeah. you know, I interviewed Greg Bomber uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was, he co-authored a book called God and money with John Cortinas, who I, they both were on. And, and Greg had mentioned, Hey, if you're not struggling and having tough conversations with your wife financially, then you're probably not going deep enough. And I love yeah. that he mentioned that mm. because it's so true. If, if things are easy and you're, you're not having the tough conversations and there there's probably, that's probably a good sign that you need to be going deeper. Um, and so I love that you mentioned that. And then, and then you touched on it. So for, for listeners out there, what, what would you say has been, key for you maintaining that healthy perspective on wealth because it, it's it's a battle every day as, as we get going and, and go through life it's not something you solve overnight and it's it's completed it's it's an ongoing journey so what what has been key for you in maintaining that healthy perspective yeah you know i think it's been, it's been great to sort of hear you use the word you know stewardship and i think it really is 100% about being a steward of the money, the money that God has provided us. Right. So seeing where, you know, God, I guess would, would call us to, to give or, or how he would call us to be stewards of the money that he's provided us. So I think looking at it through that lens of, Hey, look, this, 
look, I, I certainly, you know, my wife and I certainly work hard and we, we may earn this paycheck to a certain degree, but the money that we are being given is from God. And so it's, it's on us to both invest that money properly, um, to, to give that money wisely and to spend that money in a way that, you know, will, will bring value and, and allow us to, um, sort of, sort of do things that can build God's kingdom and not build our own kingdom. Right. I think it's so easy Mm. when you have a paycheck and you think, man, all right, now this is an opportunity for me to go and get, you know, something that I deserve so I can sort of build my own kingdom. I can look like I'm in a powerful position, but when we do it out of the lens of building God's kingdom and and being stewards of that money faithfully, um, I, I think I think you you bear more fruit doing that, and you can benefit more lives, and uh, and certainly kind of reap the rewards of that. Not not in a, a sense of, of earning more money, but maybe from a heavenly standpoint. Man, I, lo- I love the humility in that answer, and uh, appreciate what you just said. That, that that's awesome. And then as we close up, man, what? What in Tyler Beatty's words does it mean to be truly rich? It's it's a good question, man. You know, I think you know my my first thought. Uh, it could be inaccurate, but my first thought goes to you know things like that aren't attached to to money or to possessions or materials, but in this perspective of of like bearing fruit, right? Of of being uh, fruitful and growing God's God's kingdom, like I said, and so. Um, you know, it doesn't matter about the size of your house or the number in your bank account. And obviously I've heard people talk about that a ton. Like, you know, no matter the possessions you have, that doesn't make you a happy or joyful, um, but be rich. You know, I think like it's, it's all about giving of yourself and utilizing the spiritual gifts that you've been given in order to advance the kingdom. And if you're doing that, I think as you rely on the Holy spirit, you'll be truly rich, right? You'll be full of joy. You'll have, this this mindset and this this gratitude and thankfulness for what you have and, and truly rich by being surrounded by by family members that love you that you that you can support by a community that you can um, sort of have fellowship with um, and, and that's just such like the beautiful thing of life is being able to kind of reflect God in your life and your finances um, and to me and I think that that's what truly rich would, would mean in, in my worldview, I suppose. Man, amen. That's such a good word, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you being on here today and sharing your journey, your perspective. Um, man, it's been a blast, and I'm, I'm so grateful that, that you decided to, to come on the Truly Rich podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me, brother. Really appreciate your time.